All right, thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. This is the podcast where we highlight undiscovered talent. We're scanning Y Combinator, Pioneer, Product Hunt, Twitter, Indie Hackers, all these different networks to find really interesting founders and interesting projects and startups, and we feature them on the podcast before you've probably heard of any of them. And what's great about this is you get to follow along on their journey as they become more and more successful and say, I knew them when. So thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders, and let's get into our next founder you haven't heard of, but you will. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Nick Hill Krishnan. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you coming on as well. I, um, I've been from afar, you know, the power of like Twitter is I've seen, you know, some of your awesome tweets and newsletters and everything that you're, you've been up to. And I'm just like, this guy's super interesting. I want to learn more. And, uh, um, also, I feel like we have like similar-ish journeys by like using the internet to kind of just, you know, get on the come up. So I kind of want to talk about that. So to start, for people that don't know who you are or like your background, can you give us an idea on, you know, quick snapshot of what your career has been so far, where you've been at, you know, what kind of the journey so far, then we can dive into some of the stuff that you're working on. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so... Yeah, my name is Nick Hill. Uh, I graduated in 2014. I went to a company called CB Insights for about four and a half years, which uh, basically gets data about private companies and uh, things happening in tech generally. Uh, when I was there, I helped build out our research team and more specifically helped build out our uh, healthcare research arm, which included uh, writing a weekly newsletter that uh, went out to about 90,000 people by the time I left. And it was sort of uh, combining healthcare comedy analysis, uh, which would, you know, eventually sort of lead to where I am today. Um, but after CB Insights, I went to a company called TrialSpark, which is a company kind of uh, re restructuring how clinical trials are run. Um, and uh, about a month and a half ago, I left to go pursue uh, two projects full time. One is a healthcare comedy uh, kind of um, experiment. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a healthcare. It's trying to make a healthcare more accessible through uh, being funny, I guess. And that starts with a newsletter analysis. Uh, it's going to be branching into some YouTube sketch comedy kind of stuff and a few other interesting things down the line, which I, I won't spoil. But if you're interested, you should check it out. It's called Out of Pocket. Uh, and then I'm also building an online to offline uh, community called Get Real, where basically I ask prompts each week. Uh, people answer it. And then I have events for those people who are in this online community to meet offline. So that's everything ranging from some peer-to-peer -peer TED Talks that people give, uh, an event where we recreated Hot Ones, the YouTube show, uh, and a bunch of other things. So kind of working on two side hustles, uh, uh, you know, full-time now, which is, which is pretty interesting. Well, congrats on, uh, you know, taking the leap and, and doing, you know, your side hustles full time. It's very exciting times. Also probably horrifying at the same time. I, I was in that boat a couple of years ago. There's nothing more exciting in the world. Um, I have a couple questions on your first, uh, on the first one that you mentioned. So I think that in today's world, everyone and like in their mother is, you know, starting to start 
you know, a like standard in, informational newsletter. And it's all kind of like, it seems like kind of similar to each other. But what's interesting about you is that you're like, and I, and I followed some of it. I read some of it and I see some of the tweets and like, you're, you're not just like this, like standard newsletter, you're making it funny and like comedic. And it's like almost entertaining. I, I'd love to hear, have you, have you always kind of been like the comedian style or is that something that you just wanted to try with, with Substack or like, what made you decide you wanted to bring in the the comedy side to to what to what you're doing there? Yeah, well, I've always been a joke, so this has been pretty easy. Uh, no, I, I it was it was interesting at CB Insights to sort of see how um, we, how injecting humor into kind of like a B two B content format really resonated with a lot of people. Um, I, I think the the lines between work and life are blurring so much in basically every capacity that. I think that also includes kind of how uh, information is shared, how people want to like uh, interact with um, like interact with their with their information. And when I was researching healthcare, it was so boring and like dry and acronym filled. And I wished at some point that there would have been something that was like fun to read that I would be excited to open every week. And every newsletter out there is just so goddamn boring. Like it's, it's, it's just like, it's just, it's very uh, unimaginative and it's just like a recap of the events or, you know, it's just like delving into like P-value hacking. And it's like, I just, I just, you know, I want something that's funny and like relatable and shareable. And I just couldn't find that in healthcare. And I think that's a big problem because I think it actually makes people really um, scared about learning more about healthcare and, and kind of like scares them off from, diving deep into it. So I wanted to use out of pocket as sort of a more accessible way for healthcare curious people to kind of learn about how the system actually works in a digestible and easy way. And, you know, that's through things like memes and that's through things like, uh, you know, uh, in injecting kind of some personal like roasts and all that kind of stuff. I think people should, I think people want to consume information about industries the same way they consume information in every other way. Yeah, that is, it's honestly really smart, especially since you're building your base. You know, with that, you're gonna you're differentiating yourself like big time in a world where newsletters are about to be like really popular if they're not already. Another thing that I think is really smart is like you look at someone like me, which I, I feel like is like the person you're kind of describing, where you know you you see you you see something about healthcare, you see a law, you see something happen, and I'm just like that's so big, I don't even want to dip my toe. Like it's like a whole pool that I could swim in, but you know, I think it's cold, so I'm not even going to get in. And you're just making it really easy to dip your toe in. And then you realize, like, oh, it's not that cold. And they can explore, ideally, you know, through your newsletter, which is, which is exciting. How did you decide to, um, you know, I, uh, a month and a half ago, you said you, you decided to take on both of these projects or side hustles to make them your full-time hustle. How did you decide when to do that? Like, why was then the right time? And, like, how has it been so far? Um, you know, what's been, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the world, um, but even before then, I'd love to hear just like, what's your experience been like jumping in, you know, into the deep end? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I totally planned for a pandemic to happen. So obviously this is all going according to plan. <laughs> um, of course, but, of course. <laughs> but the, you know, the real answer is I, I sort of, um, I came to a point where I had these two ideas that were really, I was very excited to test out. And I realized that I just, uh, I would regret not trying this out at this point in my life when I, you know, have some savings that I can kind of go experiment. And 
I've had the like lowest personal obligation ever because I don't have a family, I don't have like a significant other, et cetera, and I can really take some actual risks. And so when I came to that point, I realized like there really isn't going to be a better time to at least try some of these out. And I've always wanted to, and I have two tangibly good ideas, I think, then I, I was like, I was, I would be remiss if I didn't at least try it at that point. Um, so I, I was excited to, to, I guess, jump and, and just give it a shot. And, you know, worst comes to worst of things, you know, went to shit, I could always uh, come back to, uh, you know, healthcare startups generally, uh, obviously did not expect like a recession to kick in. So TBD on how that goes. Um, but the funny part is, actually, I think the demand for both online virtual communities has never been higher and the demand for good healthcare content has never been higher. So somewhat fortuitously, this has helped actually, um, you know, I think helped me uh, get the word out and also being forced to work from home all day actually has made me uh, way more disciplined. I don't have, I don't have FOMO about what's going on outside because I know nothing's going on outside. And, you know, my credit card bill has never been lower. So it's actually, weirdly enough, been a pretty, a pretty fortuitous time. Yeah, I think that's a, like, honestly, I think when you're a founder, one of the most important, you know, traits to have um, which could also sometimes be sometimes the Achilles heel, but I think it's more important than always, you know, is, is optimism and just having, you know, things happen in, you know, in the real world and you just got to roll with it, roll with the punches. And it sounds like that, that, that's what you're doing. Um, would, would love to hear a little bit like, so, so, I mean, I've, I've been following the newsletter um, and I think it's hilarious. Like if you're, if you're, can you actually drop the, if someone wanted to find the newsletter on, on Twitter or just on, you know, on the internet, where can they find it just so they can know if they're listening, they can, they can start reading. Yeah, definitely. It's outofpocket.substack.com or you can find it on Instagram at outofpockethealth, which I made like 10 minutes ago. So, <laughs> you know, very timely. All right. Yeah. Super timely. I want to talk about Substack in a second because that's, you know, that's its own beast, but I wanted to learn um, I, I don't know as much about the other project that you're working on. Uh, um, and I just love to learn like a little more about it and, you know, what it, what it is, what, and what kind of the, the goal for it is, and also like how you balance your time between that and out of pocket, or if it all, you know, just, just like blends together into one kind of one big project that have two different functions. Yeah. So uh, a little context. So it's called get real. Uh, it basically started about three years ago as, as a newsletter I was going through my quarter life crisis, as I'm sure everyone does, and had a lot of questions I was asking myself, and I was curious how other people were thinking about it. So I started this newsletter. It's a pretty simple premise. I ask a question each week, I answer it, and then I post my favorite answers that people send me the following week, um, and I usually pick uh, two to three. So, you know, sort of just been doing that, um, just kind of to, like learn a little bit more about people, et cetera. In tandem, I had started uh, hosting a lot of events in New York, just kind of to meet new people. Also, I also was kind of tired of the whole, like, let's go to a bar and hang out thing and wanted to try some new structured events. So I uh, had been, you know, organizing a bunch of scavenger hunts, had been uh, organizing this peer-to-peer -peer TED Talk series where people give talks of, that are about 15 minutes each, et cetera. Um, and over time, I sort of realized that I was actually, what I was actually trying to do was basically uh, make it so that it was easy for people to meet online uh, through these through this newsletter because people had been asking me to 
meet other people on the newsletter based on their answers uh, and then have them meet on the newsletter and then actually uh, come together at these events to, to basically uh, meet in person. And it's actually sort of replicating what I've done through Twitter a lot and it sounds like you've done as well, uh, where you meet a person online first based on some mutual interests that you see them posting about on the internet and then you actually like manage to uh, you know, connect with them offline in some capacity. And what I realized is that I think the average person is not going to like shitpost on Twitter as much as I am. So how do you make that, uh, make that uh, friend making process a bit more accessible? And the general goal is just how do you make meeting friends online a less stigmatized thing? Uh, I know that, you know, the dating world, for example, it's really normalized now to basically say, hey, I met this person through an app, through Tinder or whatever. But if you tell someone uh, in the real world, like, hey, I met this friend through Twitter, that, you know, you get a lot of weird looks. Uh, so I'm trying to make that a little bit more normalized for people to say like, hey, I met this person actually through this newsletter or this in or through the internet in some capacity, et cetera. So yeah, generally it's kind of like, you can think of it as just a, a, a way for people, uh, prompts for people to actually meet each other online and then events for people to meet in person. So you mentioned my favorite word there, which was Twitter, and uh, and I I I owe my like I'm I'm not gonna say I owe my career to Twitter because no. like I have done things outside of Twitter, but like Twitter is the most powerful force in the world to like get to know people and then bring them you know together in person or even keep it on Twitter if you want. I'm interested, like how have you? Like, I mean, you definitely have a presence on Twitter. That's how I found out about you. And it's how a lot of people find out about me too. Like, I'm curious, when did you decide to get serious about Twitter? Or have you just always been serious about Twitter and you, you, the following just follows you because, you know, you're an interesting follow? I guess, how do you think about Twitter in regards to your career? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great question. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I think I joined Twitter in college. And this was sort of when Twitter was like, follow celebrities and see the insane things that they post online. It was like more look, looking at people's insane stream of consciousness as opposed to, uh, you know, anything professional, et cetera. So I really never thought about Twitter as a professional use case. When I got to CB Insights, a coworker of mine, uh, Mike Dempsey, had actually been using Twitter for a while in a professional context. And it was really interesting to see how he used it and met new people, et cetera. And, you know, for me, I was really trying to get, meet, uh, meet more tech people because I was pretty new to the industry. And I saw how he had sort of used it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, let me try too. Um, realized pretty quickly that uh, my brand of humor, I guess, has always worked well for a format like Twitter. I guess I just have never, I never really invested in it. So, you know, I think just like being an authentic person on, on Twitter, which seemed like a really low bar um, resonated with a lot of people. So I kind of just try to like uh, uh, talk on Twitter the same way I sort of talk in the real world. Like the, I try to minimize the Delta as much as possible um, and never really thought about using it like quote unquote professionally like that. But it's sort of, um, it's obviously like really helped the arc of my career because it's helped me meet a lot of people uh, that have ended up uh, being people I work with in professional contexts as well. So Obviously, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, uh, you know, be super extra on Twitter all the time, but it's been a great way to sort of just um, also put my like very half-baked thoughts out there and then interact with people 
um, who can kind of help me shape those thoughts into some more full-fledged analyses, et cetera. So it's a great way to, great way to sort of just like um, get, get your initial, get some initial takes out there in short form. I, I, I totally agree. Like my issue with Twitter is that it's became my, like, I think, you know, five years ago, my go-to social network when I wanted, when I had a thought to share was like Facebook and that was my friends and whatnot. But I don't know what happened. I think it's because Twitter's just gotten so addicting that mm -hmm. whenever I have any urge to go on any social media, my brain immediately thinks of Twitter first. And I tweet like, I think I tweet like 20 to 30 times a day now. And I don't do it like actively or like think about it. I just like, oh, like that's interesting. Tweet, oh, retweet, oh, I have a rant or the, that's, you know, it's just, it's, and, but you're right in that you like, you, 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 while you're doing that, you are able to just build a rep, build a reputation just by being authentic. And it's not even hard. And I think if people are trying to, you know, game it, they, they, they can't last, right? It's like hard to like not be like be inauthentic for so long, especially on a platform like that. People, I feel like people can sniff it out a little bit. Yeah, I also just think it depends on like your end goal of how you want to use it, right? I think there's a lot of people who, you know, basically growth hack Twitter to basically make it a way to just quickly distribute ideas uh, across, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, but they don't actually care about engaging with any of those people it's literally just let me like market myself to these people i think it's very different if the case use case is i want to actually meet interesting people through this because if you want to meet interesting people through it then they're inherently like if there's a huge you know if there's a huge gap between who you are online and offline when you meet offline it'll very quickly become apparent what kind of person you are um so if you want to actually meet interesting people, which I think is really the main use case or the most valuable use case for Twitter, then you have to just be kind of who you actually are online. And then the nice thing though, is that you will end up attracting people who like vibe with that person as opposed to trying to appeal to every audience simultaneously, which is what I think a lot of these more marketing heavy accounts try to do. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, 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 speaking of like kind of the marketing heavy accounts, it's like, I, I feel like it's when you are kind of in the circle, you know, the circle in Twitter, where it's just like, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of in tech Twitter, and I don't really engage with even like any other circle, which may be a bad thing. Um, I don't know that you think about it. But mm -hmm. um, I, it's just, I feel like tech Twitter itself is like this cocoon of like, of just, I don't even know what the word is. But it's just, you know, everyone who's anyone who's like on it, you can learn about anything, even if you're based in, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, where, where I am at. And I'm just, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the platform. Um, one other thing that I want to, that I want to learn about from you on how you made this decision is why did you decide to go um, with, uh, with Substack for your newsletter and kind of like looking forward in regards to like the next 10 years of just like creativity and creator monetization Substack seems to be positioning themselves, you know, to be kind of the place, you know, they raised the happy round from like Andreessen Horowitz. So I'm mm -hmm. kind of curious, like, why'd you go with them? And how do you think about, you know, just being a creator in 2020 and what that looks like moving forward? Yeah, totally. Um, I, so I, I use MailChimp actually for one newsletter and then Substack for the other. So I kind of have a little bit of a view into both worlds. Um, the, the nice thing about Substack is that it's very good to just get up and running really quickly. Like you don't have to actually 
set up templates. You don't actually have to like get your branding down or all that kind of stuff. You can literally just start writing. And for me, um, I really wanted to just get started somewhere. So for me, it was literally just, I'm not totally sure what the monetization path is going to be, but I need to just start. The nice thing about Substack is that if you want to turn on monetization later, it's relatively easy to do so. Um, but at the same time, what I don't like about Substack is I don't like how uh, you have like very little customization. It kind of feels like medium just, but for newsletters in the sense of like every medium article just like visually and aesthetically looks the exact same. Um, and media, and you basically are beholden to like whatever mediums policies are. Um, so Substack, I think the pros is that you can get started really quickly. And that's really all I cared about. Um, I think a lot of people uh, wait really a really long time to try and get everything perfect before they put their stuff out there. And for me, I wanted the content to sort of speak for itself. So really just want to get up and running and Substack is by far the furthest. Uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about going forward is I think a lot of Substack writers, um, their, you know, their usual goal is, hey, I'm going to write good analysis, charge for it, and then people will pay. I think that's one interesting model. Um, for me, the, the big goal is to try to get more healthcare curious people interested in healthcare. And those people are, you know, probably not going, it's going to be a little bit harder to demonstrate the value to them really upfront. Um, so one of the things I, I ideally like to keep an, at least one newsletter free, maybe increase the volume of newsletters to one paid one free. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is actually one of the really valuable parts of a lot of these Substack re, uh, Substacks are the quality of the readership. So when I, you know, think about Ben Thompson's Stratechery, uh, the forums are actually really, really valuable and, and very interesting. So if you've never, if anyone's on the newsletter and hasn't perused them, I definitely recommend it. Um, but there's, there's this really high quality membership that I don't think a lot of writers uh, do a great job of actually um, capturing that value. And so I'm actually learning a lot from the get real side of things on how to build a strong community and, uh, and capture value from there that I would like to actually bring to the out of pocket stuff to uh, better connect the readership of the, of the newsletter to each other and figure out interesting ways of monetizing that. So, you know, should be launching a couple things soon in that vein, but, um, but, but that's a lot of what, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And you're just this, I feel like you're in some ways living in the future where I kind of, I kind of envision maybe like in 2030, it's like a pretty common profession to, to have a podcast here, Substack there, email list here, you know, radio show, you need all these different things. And it's just like this economy that works um, for creators and the ability to, you know, make, make it happen um, without, you know, waiting five years to build up an audience is actually a little easier. And you're just, you, you just take, took the leap, I think a little earlier than the market, which I think is going to give you the upside, right? Like not <laughs> as many people are doing it. Uh, so my, yeah, yeah, go for it. I was to say, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's like a, uh, I, I think independent creators, like it's never been a better time to do that. I think there are still a lot of unexplored avenues that have not quite been figured out yet. So publishing is definitely one that's sort of been getting figured out now. Um, the community around a given person, I think, hasn't quite been figured out yet. Um, and I think there's still a lot more opportunity around like, okay, how do you uh, make it easy for that person to... Uh, go speak at places or go consult at places or uh, contribute their expertise somewhere. 
So I think there's still a lot of uh, unlock. There's a lot of value that still has not yet been unlocked that I think would be really interesting. And on the flip side, I think there. I, I think there's um, convincing people to take that jump. I think is still actually an, it's an opportunity in and of itself. Um, you know, for me, it was. Uh, relatively easy in the sense that like I sort of had a following already. Um, I had the like financial safety net to kind of take a risk, etc. Um, but I think actually if you uh, made it easier to transition for people into this kind of independent creator mode, um, you'd see a lot more value unlocked um, just in that process. Yes, yes. Um, on that on that vein, did you see recently i don't know one of their names but nathan bagshaw who is the owner of divinations which is a substack sub or publication and a different publication like merged they didn't they didn't merge but they they decided to offer like a joint plan at a discount so it almost seems like it's like almost like i don't know if you could call it consolidation but it's like strategy to get more distribution do you how do you yeah, bundle. Yeah, that's right. That's the word. Do you like, how, how do you think about, um, you know, let's say five years from now when this, this is a little more popular, do you think that bundling is going to, I don't know, like become a little more prevalent where people might have subscription fatigue or um, I'm, kind of, I'm just interested in the concept of like, if, if so many people are potentially doing a subscription thing, there's only so much money to go around. Have you thought about that? Um, not necessarily it being your problem, but you have thought about, you know, that coming in a couple of years and how, how, to, how you're thinking about it, if that's on the table. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any industry goes through bundling and unbundling. I wouldn't be surprised if individual creators went through a similar, you know, similar process. I'm sure, I'm sure Substack will eventually either release their own bundling product or, you know, even in that vein, show you kind of like where common readerships exist between you and other substacks to make that bundling process easier. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is probably uh, interesting, most interesting about Substack is that you can actually monetize off a very small audience if you like are really niche enough. Um, so, you know, yes, there's probably like a subscription fatigue sort of sentiment, but at the same time, it's you know, I think the more niche you go, the the more like valuable your specific newsletter is to that given audience. And the reality is like, as an individual person, my overhead in running like this business is incredibly low. I don't actually need that many people to like and want to pay for the content for me to make a decent living off of it, um, which I think is nice. Like you can have, it's, I don't think it's that different than like the way Netflix uh, creates a lot of these original uh, original content things where every time I look at it, I'm like, who the hell is watching this kind of stuff? But, you know, it's fine because uh, they target a small enough audience that is really into that kind of stuff that um, makes the bundle for everyone worthwhile. So I actually think it's, it's okay that there's so many creators um, as long as they're not overlapping in their content and like type of audience that they're trying to target. Um, I, I think for me personally, it, it you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to target healthcare broadly, which is like a very large industry. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more healthcare people that eventually come out with their own newsletters. And I'm on a bunch that I actually really like and, and, and enjoy quite a bit. And I'm sure there's going to be, the space is going to get way more saturated over time. Um, and that's why for me, the community part is such an important aspect to this because I think building a community is extremely, is way more defensible just by itself. 
Um, you know, I can go into a rant about network effects and all that kind of stuff, but I, I won't. Um, I think communities are more defensible and that's also why uh, I'm trying to explore a lot of other monetization avenues that are not just launching a subscription newsletter. And I think more independent creators should think about that because I think you're right. There's going to be a, there's going to be a time where it's just going to get more competitive. Um, and, and there's got to be like different ways to, to differentiate your newsletter. Well, I feel like you have a, like an already built in moat. Cause I don't know, like out of anyone that would want to start a newsletter, how many of them are going to take the, the comedy route or brave enough to take that route that can actually pull it off. And I don't think that many, so I think you already have like a pretty, pretty protective moat around you just because of the way that you started, you know? So I think, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to more, uh, to more, uh, to more posts and to seeing them on Twitter. I, I, I'm like, I'm honestly like thrilled with this conversation. You're, you're, you're definitely living in the future and it's cool to talk to you. Like, welcome to the present. Um, is there any other thing that you just want to talk about or mention or things on your mind before we finish up the podcast? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think just my like general takeaways from like, even just me trying out all these kind of things is one, like just be as authentic as possible on the internet instead of trying to curate a specific version of your life because I think one you'll have more fun and you'll meet more interesting people two uh these tools are so easy to use now that highly recommend at least trying it even if like your finished product is not totally polished or anything it's kind of just fun to play around with all these tools that let people build stuff very quickly like this whole no code thing is, is real it's very fun to like mess around with Webflow. very fun to uh use these kind of uh, you know, like meme editors in on in on phones now. Um, so highly recommend at least just like giving it a shot and trying it. And uh, yeah, I, I think people should try and build their own personal brands, uh, regardless of what they plan to do in the future, because it's really, really valuable, um, no matter no matter where you go. So I, you know, I, I recommend it. Cool. Well, with that, I am extreme. I'm, I'm very excited about the conversation. I think, you know, anyone listening that is wondering where the future is headed, where things are going, I think, I think this is right on the money and that like the power is shifting a little more to the creator and creators are going to become almost corporations in themselves. So listen to this podcast once, listen to it twice, and then kind of, you know, do what you want to do with it. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Nick Hill. I uh, really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation and best of luck, you know, conquering the world with, with your two side projects and hopefully <laughs> many to come. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And, and thanks for the conversation. Okay. Thank you everyone for tuning into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And luckily there's another one coming up real soon. But before then, I have a couple things to tell you. First, if you're listening to this and you think you're working on something cool or you think you're smart, Hit me up on Twitter. I am at Matt underscore Sherman, and that is Matt with one T. So hit me up, shoot me a DM, and I'm happy to check out what you're working on, and maybe we can get you on the pod. But at the very least, I'm happy to give you feedback on your product or project or startup. Lastly, if you can please rate this podcast in the iTunes store, that would be awesome. I'm trying to get up in the rankings so more people can discover these awesome founders. And the only way to do that, or one of the ways to do that, is growing with rankings. So if you like what you're listening to, please just go onto the iTunes store, give it five stars or four, you know, or three. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but just tell whatever I deserve, you should rate that. With that, I'm signing off. See you next time.
拜。